Hey there, it's Megan, and you're listening to Better Product, the show where we celebrate great products and the people and processes that make them stronger. Today's episode is another conversation about trends that Christian and I are seeing in the digital product world, and we got the idea for this episode thanks to some recent news. If you follow big tech, you'll know that Square, the payment processing app created by ex-Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey, went through a major rebrand and renamed itself Block. The move got us talking about what makes a good name for your product and for the business around it. We're going to explore that topic today through the Square to Block story, and we'll show why at the end of the day, it's not really the name that matters, it's what you've built around it. For this episode, we are going to be talking about names, and I have in my show notes that uh, I should ask Megan where her name comes from, but that it's a bit inappropriate. So, Megan, where does your name come from? So, this is a story my mom likes to tell. It's like, it's just a little bit weird. I don't know. So, my mom loves to read. She's a big reader. She reads a lot of fiction, and when she was pregnant with me, And she and my dad were trying to figure out what to name me. They also didn't know if I was going to be a boy or a girl. And so they kind of were picking names for both. And as she was thinking about girl names, she was reading The Thornbirds, which is this Australian fiction novel about basically the main plot is this family on a farm. This young girl grows up. They have a family priest. And the girl ends up in the end having an affair with the priest. And this girl's name was Maggie. And my mom, as she was reading, was thinking, oh, that would be such a cute name, like to call a baby. Have you read this book? Actually, yeah, I read it a couple of years ago and it was good. Yeah. So it was Maggie, but you're Megan and you don't go Yeah, because she liked the nickname and that, they called me that for the first few years. Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. Well, my name comes from other another Christian in my family, one of the first immigrants from Germany, maybe based on a book at some point, who knows, but... I was actually listening to the Steam Room podcast with Charles Barkley and Ernie Johnson, and Charles Barkley named his daughter Christiana, and he he admitted for the first time, she's like in her 30s, I think, or late 20s, was named after his favorite mall, the Christiana Mall. So I feel like being named after a character in a book is better than being named after a mall. So today we're going to be talking about name, which is not a new thing in this podcast, but I think specifically we're going to be talking about names and changing names. And of course, real people can and do change their names, but that itself is a big decision. And today we're not going to be talking about people's names. We're going to be talking about company names because changing a name isn't just about replacing a word. It's also about cementing and changing an identity. You can imagine that this is a big step for a company to take. So that being said, how important is a company name or a product name? That's what we're going to explore today. How we think about personal names is pretty different from product and company names. So today's episode is really about brand and positioning, right? Right, because you can use great brand and positioning to make pretty much any name work for your product, and we're going to show you how to do that. So I'm going to have a lot to say today from a brand and product marketing perspective, and for once, I'm going to try to not steamroll Christian, but really, this conversation can apply to anyone in product. The name of your product or company is often the first touch point that the market has with your brand. It has to be good. And by that, we mean it has to be memorable. So even if it doesn't make total sense for your product concept, like Apple, Apple didn't make any sense at the time necessarily. It was kind of a nonsense name, but then the company made it into something. 
They gave it a reputation. Google didn't mean anything at the time, but with brand and product and positioning, it slowly and surely came to mean something. And now it's synonymous with search engines. And it's one of the most well-known companies on the planet. I want to add one more because I, I had to Google this story as well, which by the way, really good example. Like people always talk about, you need to be able to turn your name into a verb. And I don't think anybody would have thought you could do that with Google, but here we are. Slack was one that I know was like criticized when it came out because you're thinking workplace communication, slacking off, that doesn't seem right. And Stuart Butterfield, their CEO said that it was originally an acronym, S-L-A-C-K, that stood for searchable log of all conversation and knowledge. So to your point, what you do with the name is really important. So to help you better understand what this looks like in practice, we're not talking about Slack today, but we're actually going to structure this conversation around some news that you all may have heard of over the past month or so pertaining to Jack Dorsey leaving Twitter. I, I don't know. Somehow I've learned that Jack Dorsey is a polarizing figure, which I, to be honest, I don't totally understand. It's kind of fascinating that he's been the CEO of Twitter and then spun up Square, which is actually more what we're going to talk about today, and been CEO of two companies. And I know Twitter's had its issues, but they're actually doing quite well right now. But he's left Twitter to focus uh, a bit more on, on Square. But I think ultimately, whether you're, you like Jack Dorsey or dislike him, I think it's hard to deny that both of those companies are very, very impactful. So I'm excited to get to, to talk a little bit more about Square, which is a financial services company. And I actually read this book called The Innovation Stack, which I definitely recommend. I've recommended some people, but it's written by Square's co-founder. So it's not from, from Jack Dorsey, but from Jim McElvee. And it's about where Square came from. And Square was was really spun up because Jim McElvee, the, the co-founder, I think he was a glass blower, and he couldn't make it easy to get paid. And there was like this one moment he just couldn't get paid because credit card fees are too high. So for small businesses, they had no easy way to actually get paid for their work. So he like lost out on being able to sell some glass that he'd made. So he had thought about this, spun it up with this like wonder kid he knew from when he was a teenager, Jack Dorsey, and they created Square. But the reason we're talking about Square today with regards to name is that it's rebranded into a larger corporate identity called Block. So there are a few reasons for this square to block change, which I personally think is a pretty brilliant new name. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But according to Square, the new name acknowledges the company's growth and structures Square in a broader product ecosystem. Because if you didn't know, Block is also the parent company to Cash App, and it has a majority stake in the music streaming service Tidal, which is Jay-Z streaming service. So why I think Square to Block is such a great rename is because, like they said, it's a reflection of growth. That growth is adding more companies to the portfolio, adding more dimensions to what they do, just as Block is a three-dimensional version of Square, not to mention a lot of what they do happens on the blockchain, and so that is another association. So we think it's important to think about how the team behind this renaming thought about Block. The team said in a blog post, that the new name has many associated meanings for the company, building blocks, neighborhood blocks, and their local businesses, communities coming together at block parties full of music, blockchain, like I mentioned, a section of code, and even obstacles to overcome. 
Right. Just as I said, there's a bunch of implications and nuances to this rebrand, and we're going to work to understand it from three angles. So first, we'll talk about what's typically expected or considered when naming a product. And the goal here will be to get us thinking about everything that has to go into a product name. We'll explore what questions to ask yourself and what you need to think about for your audience. Second, we'll chat about what you should think about when renaming your product. When is a rename versus a rebrand needed and when might it benefit you? And third, we'll end the conversation with some observations about where we think product names are trending based on recent news and how that might impact the wider product industry. And just so you don't tune out, Megan and I are going to disagree. And I don't know what it's going to end up like because as, as I say it right now, I don't know how the argument ends up, but I know that one is coming. So stay tuned. Okay. Anyway, so to our first point, what goes into a product name in the first place? Starting with a square name, if you're at all familiar with the product, you'll know there are plenty of square, like the shape, references in both its design and brand. The logo is a black square with a dot in the middle, and the device small business owners use on their phones to manage sales is an attachment that includes a square-shaped card reader. If I remember from that book I read, the design of the actual reader was really, really important to them. And I think that was one of Jack Dorsey's big things or Jim, I don't know, one of those two designing, it was really important and they couldn't get the reader to really work really well. I don't know. It gave me a, an appreciation for how hard it is to make a reader because it has to stay steady, but they actually went through a lot of iterations of that reader and then tied the logo to it. So I'm not sure if there was anything deeper behind the square name itself, but because there was a physical product that was a square shape, and then it could get reflected in the brand digitally. I think it was really smart because it just had this cohesion that went from the physical to the digital world. Yeah. And while we weren't in the room, obviously, when this company landed on the name Square, which by the way, if you think about it, is kind of in the same vein as a Google and an Apple where they've made it mean something. It's not like it meant exactly what they did from the get-go. From our experience, we know that names often get chosen before teams start building a brand, or maybe you figure out the name and the brand at the same time. Either way, the two are closely intertwined, and you absolutely don't need to figure out your brand before your product name. But as Christian said, once you do pick that name, there are lots of applications in brand and in product where it can come out. So we've worked with a bunch of different founders and sometimes they have a name that they love coming in. Sometimes they've landed on what they call the perfect name, or sometimes they have some sort of an inspirational name. They're naming a company or a product after a child or an experience they had. And sometimes they have no clue. They just have a really good idea and they ask us for our expertise to help them with that name. So there's really no one way to start naming your company. We've seen it all. The way that we start our own process is to with, with a discovery where we ask the founders, okay, what is this product going to do? Who is it for? And then we try to think about what types of names will resonate with their target audience. That said, to land on a name, eventually you do need a solid understanding of how you want to position your product and market. So a lot of times a name will either influence or be influenced by the category that you're choosing. And like we talked about earlier with Google and Apple and Slack and even Square, names a lot of times don't mean anything when you start out. And so it is the burden of brand and the burden of positioning to make these names mean something to the market. So we've obviously talked about brand and positioning before on the show. Most recently, we talked about the MailChimp and SurveyMonkey rebrands, which also involved a renaming from SurveyMonkey to Momentive. 
And rebranding and renaming together can help promote growth and moving up market, which is the main theme of the SurveyMonkey story. It was kind of the opposite for Square and Block, so the positioning of Square didn't change, but they leveraged this name change to Block to celebrate and add a sense of permanence to their growth. So Christian, we've talked a ton about product marketing and brand at this point, but what's what about a name's connection to design? That's also important for sure. I was thinking as you were talking, it's not an answer to your question. Why it isn't it cube though? Like square is, you know, each side is the same size, but a block is like varying sizes. So like block would be like the 3D rectangle. Anyway, so I've thought a lot about this over the past few years as, you know, building at the Innovate Map Agency and doing more names and my background being in UX design. And I don't have a great sense for when and how you can convey a name, but I have some examples where it seems like there's something agnostic going on or there's something intentional. So for example, one of the most recent products that I think taken over um, in the B2B world is Notion. And they've always had a really strong brand, you know, illustration style is black and white ink style, but their name itself is Notion. And it definitely hints at this sort of organic knowledge base that it's meant to create. It's like I have a Notion and I will write it down. So when you think about the product design of something like that, the whole design, if you use Notion, makes it really easy to just add things. Just you have a Notion, you just sort of insert it. So Yes, it's a text-based interface, like like anything, like a Microsoft Word or a Dropbox paper, but they've kind of designed it in a way, if you look at it, where it does feel like you have these notions that you sort of get out. And I think the the interaction design really sort of mirrors that. But I don't think that every... Actually, I have one more example where I think a name can be tied. It's a local company that we work with in Indianapolis uh, over, the, over the years called Greenlight Guru. And they make quality management software company for medical device companies. And I would say that their their name is Greenlight, which I think on its own is very misleading. I think they're they're actually not even the only green light in town that's in other industries. But the whole point was that it was named that way because you're basically trying to test devices so that you get the green light to you know sell them on the market. And that's a really long process. So I think it makes sense there. And then a lot of things in their product get kind of designed towards getting you the green light. But then on the other hand, there's times where the name I don't think really comes into play at all. I I mentioned Slack earlier, and I think that's a good example where I don't, I can't feel or see, I've I've used Slack since 2015, and I can't see in any of their rebrands or anything like that, any sort of notion that Slack is sort of reflected in the product design. So I think it kind of depends. I think one last example I think that shows the differences or how, how I think design evolves is when you look at Google versus Yahoo, you know, Yahoo had an exclamation point. It was like really goofy and it was like this destination. It was like the landing page for the web uh, before Google came out. And you know, when Yahoo in the 90s was building, they had actual humans going and surfing the web and cataloging the pages and building out the hyperlinks. Google had a fundamentally different approach that was more action-oriented, it was more search-oriented. And so I don't know that Google itself is easier or different to say as a verb than yahooing something, but as I say it, maybe there is some, you know, some linguist can maybe find some connection there. But I do think it's interesting to see how the name evolves with how it's going to be used. And, you know, Google became the verb for the internet 
And that's actually not something that existed in the 90s. It was actually not an active search sort of thing. It was like a destination oriented thing. So by Google coming in and turning it into a verb and building their product around that verb, I think they created a really like strong sense of position in the market. So now we're going to get to the second part that we promised we would cover today, which is when you should think about renaming a product or a company. We've walked through how one gets a product name in the first place. So we definitely want to talk about when might be a good time to consider a rename because we know that that's a big decision. The square to block rename had a lot of intention and years of business growth and evolution behind it to help justify the rebrand. Not every company has this, but some of them do. In general, I think a guiding principle product leaders have to use when considering a name is this growth, though, is some fundamental change in the business or some sort of evolution. It's one signal of many, and there are other types of moments where a rename might be beneficial, but this is usually the leading indicator. So in addition to experiencing significant growth from a revenue and market perspective, companies that make significant changes to their product or brand hierarchy might also consider a rename. So that's let's say adding an additional product or a suite of products or even thinking about the way that you position your products versus your company overall, any major change to that hierarchy might call for a rename. And I would even tie to that, like when you're sort of repositioning, if you're going after a different market that evolves the product use cases, if you're adding features you didn't have before, then I think that triggers a redesign as well. Because I think those can also be tied together. Sometimes like a classic growth pattern we see as products is they might start, you know, SMB or smaller size, you know, or smaller scale, or now more consumer PLG products eventually scale up to enterprise. And so when that happens, there's a rebrand at the same time, there's also new functionality that's targeting enterprise. And I think that's a really good moment where those two things are coupled together. But I don't, I don't know that it has to be that way all the time. Sometimes they just coincide with each other. Right. It doesn't have to be. It is kind of a best practice. That's what we saw with SurveyMonkey to Momentive, where they were trying to move more up market and they were trying to change their perception for that enterprise audience. That was a good example of them adding more features and functionality and updating the product for enterprise, as well as changing their name and brand to change that perception. So changing audience Trying to change perception and market is a big one, even as like pivoting your company or what the company actually does. So let's say it's one product, one company, you're not adding anything, you're not merging with anyone or acquiring another company, but you've decided that your product is no longer viable and you're going to pivot and you're going to try something else. That's a great time for a rename because that again is changing your perception. It's signaling to the market that you're doing something new and you're not that same old company that didn't succeed. Yeah, and I think and I'll bring up Slack again as an example where they sort of refreshed their brand before they went public, but they didn't really change the design of the product in any sort of way because it didn't really change who was using it. It was really more position in the market like you're talking about. So I think there's nothing, I think, specific about the rebrand that, means you need to revamp the product. It, that is always, I think, something that's dependent on sort of like what you're trying to do in the market. And then, of course, there's really early stage companies where you might rebrand early, early on because you've got this sort of like MVP product that's outgrown itself and it needs to just be refreshed with the version 2.0 as well. All right, we have hit our first two points. So our final point that we want to we talk about with regards to name is 
The question of whether current trends and product names today hurt other players in technology. And so I promise you all a disagreement and here it comes because we've prepared for this episode. And so this will be a conversation, but I want you all to listen to each of our points and pick a side and then tell me why I'm right and Megan's wrong. In planning for the show, we learned that Block, the Jack Dorsey company we focused on for most of the episode, got sued by the tax services company H&R Block. They claim the name Block is copyright infringement, believing most of their audience knows them as Block, which could create confusion. For what it's worth, based on other things we've heard and read, my guess is that this is an internal moniker that employees use when talking to each other, that they'll reference working for the Block or you know, something like that. But as far as we can tell, most of their external audience or people that know of them have never thought of them that way. While we can't say for certain which way this lawsuit is going to go, we both thought there was a conversation to be had here. We both, uh, spoiler alert, think it might go different ways. But we want to talk about what this says about how big tech companies adopting certain names are affecting smaller companies with the same or similar names. Because we're seeing a pattern. Absolutely, we're seeing a pattern. For example, when Facebook became Meta this summer, a smaller tech company in Chicago called Meta Company sued, claiming that Facebook wanted to bury the company when they couldn't buy the name. But I think the question ultimately becomes one about harm. So are these decisions by big tech really going to lock out companies from picking the product name that's right for them? And Christian and I obviously both have some opinions on this. A recent Fast Company article, for example, which we've linked to in the description so you can read it, puts the trend something like this. As a brand, of course, the new block is much fuzzier. In the same way that Facebook's recently announced Meta and Google's Alphabet have practically no branding beyond being the parent of their more famous children. It's like Kris Jenner. They didn't say that. That was my attention. (laughs) In that context, Block's name change could be seen as another indication of what critics see as big tech's habit of applying its winners-take-all mentality to not just trademark names, but just plain, generic, everyday words. So that's where I see, I mean, I actually kind of agree with. Now, I don't know that I would necessarily like side with H&R Block or this meta company, like specifically, I'm not speaking on that, but I do kind of agree that with these big companies in this new sort of technology landscape. So with blockchain and the metaverse, both of which those companies are references to, there is an open land grab. So like back in the day in the late 1800s, there were these moments where where the the West was being, you know, being settled and they had these, these like open tracts of land that, that nobody owned and they just allowed people to go grab land. And the first one there staked the claim. It was their land. They got a deed from the government. And that's kind of the way some of this is viewed in my mind. You had you know these open spaces in the 90s and late 90s as the internet opened up. We see the same thing happening with blockchain technology in the metaverse, which is it's an open new space. And so to me, by both of these companies sort of using these distinct references that are that, that are deliberately generic, I do feel like it kind of boxes out others. It like buys up the land and makes it hard for others. I'll counter myself on the block thing because there is a company called blockchain.com, which I think has raised like close to $500 million. It's very popular. So maybe there is that. But I do think that, and then Metaverse is a reference to the Snow Crash book from when was that, the 90s? which was a dystopia novel, by the way, which is kind of funny that Facebook is using that as his brand. But 
I don't know that I would go so far to say that there's like nefarious or ill intention on these, but I do feel like when there's this open space to sort of like grab the name of the space as your sort of, you know, stake in the land, it does make it a little bit harder on the upstarts. And in my, in my view, I think what's a little bit ironic is that a lot of Silicon Valley is based on this sort of rebel mentality, but this is a very like big company top down uh, thing to monolithic thing to do, like flex your capital that you can own the space and then create a brand around it. And even though block itself may not do anything, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that it was intentional to sort of create that association to make things downstream easier for them and harder for others. Okay, so I disagree with a lot of this uh, for a few reasons. So first of all, we're talking about this concept of land grabs, and I guess we'll call them that from here on out. I don't think we need to worry as much as you do, Christian, about companies, smaller companies who are considering, let's say, a name in the block category. So if block has gone and land grabbed any name that could possibly have to do with block, should small companies be worried? You're saying maybe or yes. And I'm saying I don't think so. Because at this day and age, there are, if we're talking about the block name in reference to blockchain, and you're worried about smaller companies who use the blockchain or their tech is built on the blockchain, now being boxed out, pun intended, <laughs> now being boxed out from using any name associated with block, I don't think they really have to care. First and foremost, because it is a way of the past to name your product specifically after what it does. So one example we talked about is, let's say, or 90s and early 2000s, when a lot of companies added online on the end of them to signal that they were a digital company or a digital product. We don't do that anymore. Companies don't feel the need to explicitly say in their name that they're online because, one, it's obvious today, but also because there are other ways to get that across with brand and with positioning. Companies that are on the blockchain or have products using blockchain technology don't necessarily need to have block or chain in their name in order to signal to the market that that's something they do. And for the record, block is only half the word, chain still out there if they want to use it. Who's got chain.com? <laughs> so another thing to think about is trademarking when it comes to this idea of land grabs. So most companies want to trademark their name before they put all their eggs in that basket to make sure that they can own it and they're not going to get sued. If you know anything about trademark law, which Christian, you should, because that's what your dad does for a living. But I don't. Uh, I don't know yeah, what but you don't. Yeah. Well, first of all, if something's deemed too generic, it can't be owned. So you actually cannot get a trademark or a patent on something that's too, too generic, which means that's definitely going to limit some of these land grabs. Obviously, Block still did it. But for example, Now Included, who we've had on the podcast before, couldn't own their name as two separate words because they were told the words Now and Included separately were too generic. They had to own them together. The second piece of trademark law that's most important when we talk to our clients about naming companies is that you can have the exact same name as another company as long as you're in a completely different and unrelated category. So again, for companies that maybe are on the blockchain, they're not going to be able to be called block, but they can do block and something else because it's not as generic. Or for companies that maybe aren't on the blockchain and are in a completely different category, let's say building blocks, that could possibly still be their name. It's still available to them. 
So I guess my perspective is the find a way around it philosophy. So if blockchain is going to be important to future product names, remember chain is still available, but it doesn't necessarily have to be important to names because that's kind of a past trend. And there are other ways that you can figure out how to communicate that your company is all about blockchain through positioning and brand. You don't have to mention block at all. I, I guess I can actually kind of see that where you know, the the example of like America Online, you know, and in in thinking how outdated that became when online was obvious. That's AOL for everyone AOL. under thirty. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> in Instant Messenger, AIM, AOL Instant Messenger, which was just AIM and not AOL IM. Anyway, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe there's something there, like maybe it can create more room for innovation and actually drive other people to sort of create names and positions that are not leveraging that underlying technology so much. Well, I think to end this section on something we can't agree on, we arrived at this thought in prep together that I think that I think stands out. At the end of the day, it isn't really about the name itself. It's about what you build around the name. I mean, it can really mean everything or it can mean nothing. It just depends on what you do around it. So like I always think about sports names, they always fascinate me. And the newest team in the NHL is the Seattle Kraken, which is the greatest name. It's so tight at space. They have the imagery around it all makes sense. But then you also get names like in the NBA, like the Orlando Magic or the Miami Heat, which are kind of weird if you actually were at the like when it was like created, those are the only teams that were just nouns. They were like just things and not animals. Or the New Orleans Pelicans, which was the most recently named NBA team. Everybody was like, what what the hell? A Pelican? But Everybody expects these like vicious animals. But when you look at over time, these things just sort of like go away. Like nobody's really talking about that heat is a weather thing (laughs) anymore after they win championships. And so I think it's the same thing when you think about names like maybe a Facebook that sort of sounded really weird at first and then just sort of like evolved over time. So to your point, it can mean nothing or it can mean everything. With Kraken and Seattle Kraken NHL, they built everything around that name and it was intentional and others, they may not so much. So I think your point of positioning and everything is what ultimately is the most important thing as it relates to, to names. I love the Kraken brand, but my favorite is still Washington football team. That's like uh, Brandless or whatever yeah. that company is. So I'll leave the listeners with a thought we've shared for several episodes now. Christian and I love talking, but we don't do this to throw our own thoughts into the void as much as some people think we do. We want to know what's on your mind. So send us your frustrations, your questions, your best product names, your worst product names. Share your thoughts with Erica, our producer, at the email in the description, and we'll respond in a future episode. Thanks for joining us. And if you haven't yet, be sure to join the Better Product Community. We've got all sorts of content and resources for you. And if you want more audio, don't forget The Business of Product is our latest show to join the Better Product Network. And you can find that and more at betterproduct.community.